noticed after I got here that I walked off and forgot my little clip-on mic, so I'll try to see if I can stand behind here tonight, this morning. Good to be with you again this morning. I hope everything went well with Tim last week. To this point, Barbara and I have only heard Tim one time, and neither of us have heard Steve a single time so far as speaking, and I don't, uh, at this point, I don't know that they feel very comfortable with me in the audience, but based on the reports that I get, uh, everybody seems to say that they are developing well. I know one of the goals that we had when we had Steve and Tim was that each of them would develop to the point where they would be very good proclaimers of God's will. And at least in my conversation with them, I feel good from the standpoint that I know for the, from, a, from the standpoint of knowledge and understanding that they're far beyond what I was at, at their respective ages. This morning, I'd like to talk with you about something uh, that uh, could give various titles. The title I decided to give it was God's Answer to Our Problems. And if you'd like to be turning over to Proverbs, the eighth chapter, uh, we'll get into some of that and, and read a portion there in the eighth through the tenth chapter of the book of Proverbs. God's answer to our problems. What kind of problems we have anyway? What do we call a problem in our society? Well, um, I was reading one of the newspapers last week. I forget which one, which day. But it said that something like uh, 30% of the children in our society are being brought up in an environment where the income is below the poverty index. Uh, some people say it's 20%, some 25 It depends on your definition of what constitutes poverty in our government. But suffice it to say, it is a real concern in our society that so many children are being brought up with what many consider inadequate uh, financial means to lead them through the proper education process, to give them the proper nutrition. For example, we know that... Uh, that the brain itself will not develop in the way that it's supposed to if it does not get proper nutrition. Uh, proper nutrition is as much dependent upon knowledge as it is money, but it's dependent on both. Poverty is talked about when we consider the homeless in our society. You regularly uh, turn on the news and they show you these uh, people by the thousands seemingly that are on the park bench or laying on the streets or walking around or in shelters and and we're confronted with this problem. What are we going to do with all the homeless and the, and the fact that it's growing in our society? What's the best way to handle that situation? Uh, poverty is becoming uh, you know, a problem in our society. Poverty is a problem in the world that we live. Uh, there are many people in the world starving to death right now. Uh, there are many people living in housing that you and I would consider very inadequate uh, right now. Another problem in our society is health care. And there's, uh, you can't, again, read the news or listen to the news on TV and not have it brought to your attention, the tremendous cost in, in health care in our society. And, and how are we going to handle it? Uh, that uh, we're doing so many fantastic things with all of our inventions and discoveries, but these things that we're doing cost millions and millions of dollars. And so what are we going to do when you've got this uh, person that's 70 years of age or 75 or 80 years of age and they're here in the hospital and, 
and they have this disease that has destroyed all quality of life and they have absolutely no hope for life and yet we have the machines and the gadgets to, pro to prolong their life at least from the standpoint of them breathing and, and being able to lay and be aware of things and all do you pull the plug uh, where, where do you make the decision there uh, there was this baby on the news the other day and the baby had already cost half a million dollars. And the doctors were saying that the baby would never become conscious. The brain was mostly destroyed. Uh, the baby would never gain any consciousness. It would never grow, never be a normal human being. It was going to die. But we had the, the ability through machines to keep the baby living and the mother didn't want to pull the plug. And so what did they do? The gov government, which is your tax money, had already paid out a half million dollars and were paying out thousands of dollars each day. And so where do we go with this when it comes to uh, health care? And, and we see all the needs for uh, in that area in our society, the cancer, the heart problems, the various other things. Schools have become a problem. On the one hand, they're telling you about this tremendous education that your children uh, need if they're going to function in the coming world. If we're going to be competitive uh, with the Japanese and with other industrialized countries, that we're going to have to do more in school than we're doing. Uh, the Japanese go to school uh, two more months a year uh, than American children do. Uh, they spend more hours in school. Uh, well, it's not a matter of just doing There's money involved in that kind of thing. Uh, if the children are going to have what they need for our society today to be very competitive, uh, they need computers down in kindergarten in the first grade. Uh, and, and all the way through, they need some of the other technical things also. And so what do we do? How do we handle uh, the problem? Where's the money going to come from? Another problem we deal with is corruption within our leadership. Uh, on the one hand, we're hollering about money for our schools and, and for the elderly and for young people. And on the other hand, we're in the process of bailing out the savings and loan organization in our country, uh, a price that is going into the billions of dollars. And a price that's there for one reason, and that is because of dishonesty and fraud and corruption and greed. Uh, on the part of people that were in some very high positions. Uh, we recognize all the time, it, this week, or was it last week in the news, that they, they tell you that our congressmen that, uh, that only make $125,000 a year plus all the fringe benefits, which are a multitude, are running up thousands and thousands of dollars of bills uh, in their dining room. They don't even pay their lunch ticket. And uh, many of them are writing bad checks. And it's up into the thousands and thousands of dollars. And then over and over we read about some congressman or some senator who's taken a bribe from the South Korean lobbyist uh, or the lobbyist from another country. And so we say, what in the world do we do? Who do we believe? Well, there's all kinds of answers being shouted to us. Right now, though, the Democrats are saying, hey, the Republicans have been in X amount of years, and look at what you got. And the Republicans are saying, yes, but look at what you had before we got here. And 
Then it used to be that between the Democrats and the Republicans, the communists were saying, well, capitalism itself is false. Look at our society. We don't have any poverty. We're all equal. We all own things in common. No wealthy among us, nobody without a job. And then communism fell on its face. They didn't work either. So where is the answer? Do the Republicans have it? Do the Democrats have it? The communists have said that we don't have it. We just can't find it anywhere else. We've got problems coming up with enough prisoners. I mean, enough prisons for our prisoners. Uh, we've got people that rape and murder and steal and loot and, and, and we complain. We say, why don't we keep those people in jail? Uh, this guy that is raped, we know that all statistics say that only 20% of sexual offenders are rehabilitated through counseling, that 80% of them will go back out and do the same thing again and again and again. And so why, why do we let them out? Why do we let these thieves out to go out and steal? Well, the bottom line is money. We don't have enough money to build enough prisons to hold them up. Uh, the judge, uh, the police, they'd like to keep them in jail as much as you would. But we don't have enough prisons. We don't have enough money to build enough prisons to handle all of this. The families, you know, we're real concerned about the family situation in our society. Uh, families are falling apart. The divorce rate is in excess of 50%. Uh, one, or I should say, one-parent families with children are no longer this tremendous exception to the rule. <coughs> what about the situation with death itself? You know, that uh, we, we, don't, we don't want to die. Uh, we, in examples I've already given, when elderly people who have lived their life up and have no hope of anything, uh, we continue to put out thousands and thousands and we don't know when to stop because we don't want to turn loose of life. In any way along society that we don't want to turn loose of life. And so death, uh, the refusal to want to turn loose of life at all is costing us billions of dollars and somebody's going to have to make a decision and uh, somewhere along the line there concerning death. Death is a, a real problem in our society. Well, those are the problems. And the, and the question is, the, where's the answers? We have a number in our society, like the various groups that say they have when it comes to uh, poverty, uh, the answer of the politicians is that if we will agree to pay more taxes, we can build more shelters for these people. And if we'll agree to pay more taxes, we can have better schools. And if we'll agree to pay more taxes, uh, we can have the daycare centers for the young people. And if we'll agree to pay more taxes, and so the answer is that what we need is more money, and of course that means taxes, but then there's a problem there, isn't it? You can only pay so much taxes. You've only got so much money. Right now, a tremendous chunk of what you've got is going back in taxes. When you consider the sales tax and the import tax and the excise tax and the income tax and all the little secret taxes they've got, about 50% of your money is going out in taxes. When you buy gasoline, everything, about 50%. If you count it all up, it's going out in taxes. And then the economists are saying you just can't tax and tax and tax because people don't have any money to spend and buy cars and clothes and houses. And what happens? The economy shuts down and they lose their job. 
And so then we got this big debate. Do we tax to buy all these things or do we say no to these things in order to have an economy? And we got a dilemma there. And some of these people that say they got the answer, when they go to run in for office and you try to nail them down to the specifics, you know, it's good to say, it's easy to say, hey, I'd love for all the elderly to be taken care of and I'd love for all the children to have such and such. Uh, you know, I'm an education president and I'm an education governor. And I believe in law and order, you know, lock up the criminals. Well, that's easy to say. And now give us the specifics. Uh, education president and education governor and law and order, whoever, uh, let's give us a specific. Where's the money coming from to do these things? We all want it done. How's it going to be done? And then there are religious people say the answer is prayer. It's obvious that we're not getting anywhere. So let's pray. Let's pray for our leaders. Pray for the elderly. Pray for the children. Well, if that's all you do, I guarantee you, there are going to be just as many of them in the same kind of shape tomorrow if everybody's brother starts praying right now. Somebody says, that's blasphemy. Well, try it. Take any problem uh, where somebody needs help and have people decide that we're not going to do anything, we're going to pray, and I'll bet you every dime I've got that nothing will happen if all you do is pray. Let's look at this, some statements here. They had the same kind of problems back then. Let's look at the writer here, yeah, Proverbs. The man that wrote Proverbs, God blessed intellectually, mentally. Uh, he known in the ancient world as the wisest man who ever lived. Solomon lived somewhere around 500 years, four or 500 years after the law of Moses was given. He had all this period of history uh, that we refer to as the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and the period of history before him, uh, David and uh, Saul, and uh, the period of the judges. He lived his life. He made a lot of observations. And so what you really have here in Proverbs is God having granted tremendous intellect, tremendous powers of perception, Tremendous wealth and time to Solomon and allowed him to experience life, to do and to not to do right and wrong things. Allowed him to observe life. Here's the conclusion, the observations, the experience, the result of the experiences. And in the process, he says something about some of the things that we've been uh, talking about. Verse 1, chapter 8. Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights along the way, there, through the, where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gates leading to the city, at the entrances she cries aloud, To you, O Ben, I call out. I raise my voice to all mankind. You who are simple, gain prudence. You who are foolish, gain understanding. Listen, for I have worthy things to say. I open my lips to speak what is right. My mouth speaks what is true. For my lips detest wickedness. 
All the words of my mouth are just. None of them is crooked or perverse. To the discerning, all of them are right. They are faultless to those who have knowledge. Choose my instruction instead of silver. Choose knowledge rather than choice gold. Wisdom is more pressure than more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can be compared with her. I wisdom dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, perverse speech. Counsel and sound judgment are mine. I have understanding and power by me kings reign. Rulers make laws that are just by me. By me princes govern and all the nobles who rule on earth. This is wisdom now personified. I love those who love me and those that seek me find me. With me are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. My fruit is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness along the paths of justice, bestowing wealth on those who love me, making their treasuries full. The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works. Before his deeds of old, I was appointed from eternity, from the beginning, before the world began. When there was no oceans, I was given birth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills I was given birth, before he made the earth or its fields or any of the dust of the world. I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above the fixture securely in the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundaries so the waters would not overstep his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was the craftsman at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Blessed or happy are those who keep my ways. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not ignore it. Blessed or happy is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. Whoever finds me finds life and receives favor from the Lord. Whoever fails to find me harms himself. All who hate me will love death. Verse 6 of chapter 9. Lead your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of understanding. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insult. Whoever rebukes a wicked man incurs abuse. Do not rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. Instruct a wise man and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man and he will add to his learning. Here's the beginning point. The fear of the Lord, the reverence of the Lord, is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the holy is understanding. For th through me your days will be many and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. The woman folly is loud. Now he contrasts wisdom with folly personified. Folly is loud. She's undisciplined, without knowledge. 
She sits at the door of her house in the seat of the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. Let all who are simple come in here, she says to those who like judgment. Stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. Little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of the grave. Concerning poverty, verse 4 of chapter 10. Lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. He who gathers crops in summer is a wise son. He who sleeps during the harvest is a disgraceful son. Blessings crown the head of the righteous, but violence overwhelms the mouth of wicked. The memory of the righteous, pardon me, will be a blessing, but the name of the wicked will rot. What's God's answer to a problem? He says this answer is... It's better than silver and gold. Now, what we've been schooled to think, if we just had enough money, we could take care of all our problems, right? If we had enough money, we could build more prisons. If we had enough money, we could have fantastic schools. If we had enough money, we wouldn't even have to deal with this question of where you pull the plug or not. We ingrain that in the minds of our children when they're young, that you need to, to go to school. Why? What's one of the number one reasons we give for kids going to school? So you can learn to be a better person? So you can learn a lot of concepts that will enrich your life? Get a good job. We constantly leave the impression, by the way, I'm not against a good job, I'm for a good job, but we constantly leave the impression that success in life is dependent upon a good job. Donald Trump? Does he have a good job? How successful is his life? How successful is Liz Taylor's life? How successful is Johnny Carson's life? How many rich people have committed suicide? But that's the impression that we leave. Enough money! And you can be healthy, wealthy, and wise. You know, you can get it, you can get it all if you've just got money to get those things. But he said there's something about life that is more to be desired than any amount of money. Silver, gold, pearls, riches, anything else. In fact, he said if you possess this, money won't be a problem to you. Well, he's exalting there, isn't he? Wisdom. And he gives us a focal point, a starting point. He says the, the fear, the reverence of God is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So he says wisdom begins with understanding your proper relationship with God. Understanding that God is the creator of the universe. That God has made you in his image. That God's ways are right and they're perfect. And that God is to be reverenced and respected. And that's the beginning of wisdom. It's like saying to a small child, the beginning of things going right for you. Let's say, now, in our small child, I'll create the situation I want. We've got a small child with good parents. And so are we willing to say that the beginning of a happy life for this child will start with his trusting his parents and obeying them? Sure we are. 
Because we know that those loving, caring parents are only going to give the child the rules and the regulations necessary to save that child from a lot of heartache on the one hand and to send him in the direction of something better on the other hand. And so therefore the, the beginning of wisdom for a child that's in a good family is the trusting in the parents who love him and know more than he knows. Now that wouldn't be true if the family's wrong. But in our situation, God is right. And so in the same vein, the proverb writer says the beginning of wisdom is, is the reverence of God. Uh, in Ecclesiastes, after living his life, after doing his own thing, after trying everything that a human being could try, Solomon said, all of it is vanity. Let me sum up the matter for you. The whole of man is to fear God and keep his commandments. Now somebody says that's rather simplistic. And there was a leader some years back that said we need to just go back to the Ten Commandments and, and there were other politicians about laughed him out of the house. That is simplistic. Is it? Well, let's look at some of our simple things that we've looked at many times before. What is the answer to AIDS from our politicians and from the leaders of the land without God? Billions of dollars in research to try to find out about AIDS and while they're putting billions of dollars in thousands and thousands of people are dying and it continues to spread and, and, and we continue to pour money into it and, and we don't know when, where and so at this point there's no cure in sight God's answer is very simple thou shalt not commit adultery thou shalt not fornicate a man shall not lie with another man as with a woman. A woman shall not lie with another woman as a man. People who do those things do it as a result of a reprobate mind who have turned away from God. And this is the fruit of that life, Romans the second chapter. So God says if you don't have six billion dollars a year, then quit fornicating. Quit committing adultery. Quit practicing homosexuality. And AIDS will go away and syphilis will go away, and gonorrhea will go away, and all kinds of little problems and diseases and problems that children are born with will just go away. So this is what, then what is the wise course? If God says, don't do this, and those ugly things will go away, then Solomon said the prudent, wise choice is to listen to the Creator, and don't do it. Poverty in another area. On the one hand, they say the poverty index is 20%. But for some reason, the same people oftentimes do not tie some of these statistics together. 20% of every, 20% of all children that are born in our society are born to a mother who's not married. Most of the time, a young teenage mother. The majority of the time, about 60% of the time, when a single girl conceives a child, the end result is a family in poverty. She doesn't have the wherewithal to support it, and so we now have a family unit. It is below the poverty index. Divorce is rampage in our society. I can give any number. Here, you know any number. I'll use my own brother. Living below the poverty index. 
his wife living below the poverty index. He and his wife and three children lived below the poverty index for a number of years. Together, they had a house, an income, and were bringing up their three children, supplying them a good home. He leaves her. My brother does. Marries somebody else. He now has to set up another household. Plus, he's got to pay alimony back to the children. She, this money that's coming back to him is still not as much as what she had when they were together. She has to go out and work. She lives below the poverty index, trying to bring up three children by herself in the house. He's out here below the poverty index, trying to help two households. It doesn't take a genius to figure that out, does it? Did you know that a lot of poverty in the United States is for that one reason, divorce? That every time somebody divorces, you wind up with two households and you wind up with a man that is responsible in two different directions. And, and unless the, unless, now Johnny Carson doesn't have any problem with that, you see. He just mean, he's got millions and so he can just throw dollars at that. But the average person is not financially in Johnny Carson's shoes. And so when he, when he gets in that situation, it, it generally throws him into poverty situation. Well, it's interesting. In our textbooks at school, in the little readers, there, there's nothing there. When you read the stories all the way through the eighth grade and the literature through high school, there is nothing there promoting the family unit with a husband and wife and children. I've got something on my desk I just read Friday that came to me that uh, we're supposed to circulate among the kids on the, the American family. And it's stories of this woman with her child or children, this man with his child or children, this other person in a foster situation, this other person going back and forth. All of it is presented from the standpoint, this is the real world, and you can be happy in this situation, and, and it's letting everybody know that don't feel bad. This is the way it is. There is nothing in that entire publication that says that everybody don't live this way, and it would be better for you, children, in a there's nothing promoting the family of one man, one woman, rearing their children together, each being equally responsible for that household, each with a responsibility towards one another, each being faithful towards one another. There's nothing promoting that. Homosexuality in our textbooks, when they get to it in college and high school, is an alternative lifestyle. It's not wrong. What do you see on TV that would leave the impression or that promotes the traditional Household of a man and woman and, and children like Ozzie and Harriet or Father Knows Best or some of those things. What do you, or I Love Lucy. What do you see on TV like that? It's, it's not that way. It's the father with some children and the lady with some children or a group of ladies together trying to bring up some children or, or like the movie, a few dads trying to bring up a baby or something like that. And that's going out and it's going into the minds of our young people and they're looking at this as normal. And, and a rational choice that can be made. And there is nothing out there promoting the other. Well, what about our prisons? Well, we, we don't have the money. We're not going to get the money to build more prisons. 
maybe, maybe, here's what this book looks like. If we start when they're little, train them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, ingrain in our mind that lying and stealing and cheating, taking advantage of others, is wrong. And this is the result. This is the fruit of that kind of lifestyle. And this is the fruit of, of honesty. And loving your neighbor as yourself. And doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. Maybe if that was taught to these people from their youth. I listened to a man interviewed on some program the other day. He had raped. He was in jail. Had raped several women. And it came out that the reason was not sexual, and this is what came out on the program, that rape doesn't take place for sexual reasons. It takes place out of hatred for women. And the man was acknowledging this. They asked him why he said he hated women. And so they got back into the root cause, and the real problem was he despised his mother. His mother had been sexually permissive. And he had been brought up with all the degradation and shame that goes with being brought up by a mother who's trying to live with every Tom and Harry around. And he had reached the point where he absolutely hated women. Did you know that most rapists would never exist if they were brought up in a family with a mother that was godly and who loved their mother? and who learned to love their sisters and love grandmothers. Rape, for the most part, is an act of cruelty against the female. Some of the acts that are committed out there are because of a hatred of the father. In other words, we just might, according to this, handle a lot of those problems if children were brought up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And they had a mother and father who loved one another and who loved God and who took time to worship God and who realized that worshiping God was more important than who won last night's ball game or who's going to win next week's ball game. It's more important than, uh, than whether or not Susie's going to be queen of the evening or queen for a day or Johnny's going to be king or whatever it is that the world dangles out there. By the way, I'm not saying there's not a place for any of those things. The wrong is not in ball and king and queens and all of that. The wrong is when that is the purpose and the motive and the primary aim of life, and God doesn't exist in the hearts of these people. That's the wrong. You and I, according to the same material, ought to be living in our society as a light of the wisdom of God. That's what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, wasn't it? That we are the light of the earth. Then he said the person that takes these words and puts them into practice is like the wise man. We ought to be out here playing ball, doing these various things, but doing it in a completely different way. It ought to be obvious to all that God is number one with us. There is a definite right and wrong. We believe that God's intention in marriage is a man and woman and, and children that are brought up in a certain way, that that's his intention. And to the degree that we miss it, we miss God's will and, and we need to repent and, and get our lives in tune with that and things will get better. We need to be speaking up and reminding people out there, sure, go cast your vote. I'm going to cast my vote. 
But don't harbor any false hopes that the Democrats have all the answers or the Republicans have the answers or whoever it is has the answer. The answer is in the Word of God. And if you have an individual Democrat who's been influenced by this information and who's operating on those principles when he votes, then you've got a potentially good leader. And if you've got an individual Republican who's been influenced by these principles and who remembers those principles when he casts his vote, then you've got a potentially good leader. And if you've got a man on the Supreme Court or a woman on the Supreme Court, it doesn't matter whether Republican or Democrat or whatever, but if they have been influenced by this, and this controls their thinking, they're going to make the right kind of decisions and the right kind of judgments. And if we have more leaders who have been converted to Jesus and who are letting him lead them in their life, then we're going to have fewer episodes of this saving and loan debacle and things of that nature. What's the answer to our problems? The wisdom. Wisdom comes from, number one, a, having a knowledge of the right way to go, and number two, having the integrity of heart to choose and to enact that information. God's not in some mystical way going to drop a shelter down there from the homeless any more than he puts bread on your table. You pray, Lord, give me my daily bread, right? But you sit there at that table and pray and keep praying and wait for that bread to drop on the table. What you're really praying for is for God who created you in his image and gave you intellect and ability to give you the opportunity to make the income, to bring in your daily bread. That's what you're really praying for. And when you pray for your children, you're praying for the, the wisdom that you can bring that child up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And the wisdom to make the right decisions in life. God's revealed the information to us to make us wise and to allow us to make wise choices. And then in the realm of providence, God will take care of those things that you and I can't do anything about. But man, don't smoke cigarettes out here for 30 years and then pray for God to take away your lung cancer. He's not going to do it. He gives you the wisdom to say no to the cigarette. Don't drink alcohol and, and then 30 years from now complain about cirrhosis of the liver and pray to God. He'll forgive you. And if you sincerely repent, he'll take you to heaven. But he's not going to wipe out that cirrhosis of the liver. He gave you the wisdom to say no to alcohol. Don't bring your children up with God number two in your life. And then when they're out here on drugs or, or in all kinds of problems or walking in the world and they're an embarrassment to you and, and everything and then pray that God's going to change them, he's not. He gives you the wisdom and the information to bring that child up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. God gives us information. And the wise person, Solomon said, is one who acts on that information and begins to gear his life and, and to think about his family situation and his children in terms of the will of God. And when a society begins to think about it and a society begins to reap benefits, life will get better for me and for you to the extent that we're willing honestly and sincerely to repent. That means change our mind and say, hey God, I know I don't have the answer and I don't know about anybody else out there that has the answer. You've got the answers. The beginning of wisdom is the reverence of God. You've got the answers. 
And I want to take what you say about child raising and what you say about interacting with others and what you say about integrity and character and to the best of my ability, I want to apply it to my life. When we do that, life's going to get better for everybody. Let's conclude our lesson. In the lesson this morning, we talked about things that we can do uh, to help in our problems and what God has done in giving us information and giving us intellect and the, and the opportunity to make wise choices. We end our lesson by thinking in a little different way. And that is we all know that we fall short and we have fallen short. The wisdom of God is most displayed in the scriptures in the advent of Christ. The wisdom of God predetermined before the foundation of the world, Paul said. You see, God knew that we would make mistakes. He knew that we really wouldn't appreciate what was right until we made mistakes and suffered the consequences of it and, and then would turn and, and do it. And so a wise God had to make a way that an unjust people could repent and return to him and be perfectly united in fellowship, and he did that in Jesus. And so Jesus came lived a perfect life, offered himself as a sacrifice for each one of us, made it possible so that whatever mistakes you've made in life, you can repent, put your trust in Christ, God will forgive you of your sins, and then God gives you a way of life that's going to help life get better for you for the rest of your life and promises you that all along the way, the blood of Jesus will constantly cleanse you of your sin as you fall short. And so the answer is, repent of your sin, put your trust in Him, and then the same Father asks us to express our trust. And one of the first ways that you begin to express your trust in Jesus after you believe in Him is to be willing to confess with your mouth your belief in Him before others, and then to identify in faith with His death, burial, and resurrection as you submit to His command to be baptized into Him for the forgiveness of your sins. If you're not a Christian and desire to become one, we give you the opportunity as together we stand.